Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to this world sweet, y'all. Yeah, this episode... I don't know what to say. Not too many people can stump all of us. All of us are sitting on this recording just lost for words because there are so many gems dropped. I'm not even going to talk a whole bunch and do a whole long intro. This is Akimi Dubose Woodson, Executive Director of the Roots Fund. Enjoy. Hello, Black people. Hey, what's going on? How are you? How you good? I was in the streets this weekend. Yeah. Meaning I was working. Um, so it was all good. It was it was all good. I was in your neck of the woods, Glennis. Oh, we I did. thought I was, so was spring. you were gonna be talking to Sabrina because you ain't called. <laughs> no, I was I was in Ooh, see, it's all but love here. Um, but don't don't make me go off like well. Okay? I know we um, got guests. The guests are joined, and now we about to act up. Hi, welcome to this rosary, darling. How are you? I'm good. How are y'all doing? Ah, uh, you look beautiful. I love your hair. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Uh-huh. <laughs> it, 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 it ain't had nothing in it in a couple of days. <laughs> we you can't, can't tell it. No, not yeah. at all. Oh, well, not thank all. you, ladies. I appreciate you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I appreciate you. I'm, I'm, I'm receiving all of that good energy that's coming through. Yeah, most right. definitely. For those who have been under a rock and don't know who you are, introduce yourself to everybody. Sure. Um, my name's I, Kimmy DeBose Woodson, actually, and I am the executive director of a lovely nonprofit called the Roots Fund that focuses on education for people of color in the wine industry um, through scholarships, mentorship, and job placement. Nice. nice. Excellent. So we go ahead. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, I was just gonna say we don't have a lot of questions. So <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> yeah. So okay, so my first statement is not a question, but just a comment. Um just I am so impressed with the Roots Fund. I am so impressed with how much you guys have done in such a short period of time and, um, and not play lip service mm-hmm. that um, a lot of people do. We don't need to name names. <clears throat> we can after the show is over. But um, I'm just impressed. I, I, I am a big fan of the Roots Fund and thank you. And I know you have a, a great team. Thank you for everything you guys do. I appreciate yeah. that. Thank you so much. You know what Leslie said, but my question is going to be, so can you tell our audience how you came up with the name and how it plays into the mission of um, your organization? I think that um, inside joke for me, when we first set Roots, I was like, oh my gosh, is this really what we're going to make the context on? Because as a young adult, I probably watched that series a zillion times. Um, but we, <laughs> we started the Roots Fund, um, really when we thought of Roots, we just thought of a new beginning, a new connection to people of color with soil. Um, I think that there's such negative connotations behind it. So to start with the roots is to put a positive spin on it for us and kind of as a culture to look at it from a different perspective. Outstanding. Outstanding. So um, um, I've listened to a lot of the the few interviews that you've done on audio. um, I've listened to and I've read a lot of articles about you. Um, we don't know like much about you yourself. So tell us about you, like where you grew up and how you sort of like fell into culinary school. Sure, sure. Um, there are minimal interviews, actually, very few that you can find. It's been intentional, though, for a reason. Um, it's been time to really focus on the work and not focus on the flash. So that's what I've been doing. Um, but me, I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Um, grew up in the projects in East New York, Pink Houses to be specific. Um, my mom was a nurse. 
Um, my father ran the streets, um, but they were both uh, good parents, although they had their struggles. I think my family was directly affected by the crack epidemic for sure, close to home and having to adjust and deal with that. Spent a lot of time growing up raising my younger brothers um, because of everything that was happening in the world. But uh, I still give my parents their ultimate respect because I think that our entire communities were ravaged by it. And um, we all were somehow affected or had a close friend or family member, but it really just gave me drive. Um, my father's like, I'm a girl dad, daughter. Um, my dad and I are super close, uh, did everything together. A lot of life lessons, a lot of the wrong life lessons, but I got the, uh, the positive meeting out of it. But I uh, spent a lot of time with that. And um, I was in high school. So anyone that knows about the New York City high school system, it's like a lottery to get into schools outside of where you live. So you're automatically sent to a zone school. If not, you have to apply. Um, I was really smart growing up. So I applied for a lot of like the Brooklyn Tech, Stuyvesant High School, things like that. I got put on the waiting list for Brooklyn Tech, which I was excited about, but I had no idea the wait would take up to six months. So they sent me to another high school in Manhattan called Park West. And I was just like, oh, I don't care about it. Uh, I'll be at the top of the class there. I just need six months to wait out. And three months in, I needed to pick electives and I picked the culinary class. Um, I definitely took it for granted. Um, but I connected with the head of the culinary department, Gloria Tandergian. Kana has was my biggest supporter until she passed a couple years ago. But uh, she got me started in culinary. It was just a hobby. Then I started showing up to the after schools, the programs, the events. At the same time, I'm taking law classes um, at BMCC because I was selected for like a pre-law program for college. And eventually I was just like, when my time came to go to the better high school, I decided to stay and I was just like, I think I want to be a chef. Um, my mom was not supportive. Um, growing up in the black family, you got yourself a city job, but for her daughter to be eligible to be a lawyer, to already be predestined for law school and as a teenager, it kind of was a letdown. Um, but I think she enjoyed it as I got older and she got to vacation and, and do some of those great things that chefs have access to. But it definitely was a blow for my family because I was on this trajectory for a law school judge, you know, top of court of the nation. And then I decided I want to be a chef. So, but um, I made the right choice. I think it was the right thing for me, for sure. Wow. Aren't, well, aren't we lucky? <laughs> exactly. I mean, because had none of that happened, we wouldn't have the roots fund. So after culinary school, where, where are some of the places that you worked and how did you find wine? Sure. So got to the end of culinary school and I was a bad planner because I went to college and I worked a full-time job from my freshman year through my senior year, graduated with three degrees, all working full-time, spent about a year and a half of that raising my younger siblings. But I was so determined when I tell people like, when you've been without in life, there's a drive that pushes you. So even when you're tired and overworked and you think you can't make it, it's just something inside of you that pushes you forward. And I think that's always guided me. So everyone's graduation came and People are like, oh, I got a job here. I apply here. And I'm like, hmm, I don't have a job. And I don't want to stay in this area. I'm going to move. I'm going to travel. And I went into the career development office, which was another part-time job for me. Uh, and I looked at the board. And they said to me, I can me, um, we got this opportunity to go work in Singapore. It's kind of last minute. I didn't have a passport. Didn't grow up with somebody telling me I should leave the country. So the career development office, literally everybody got together, helped me get my passport. And I went to Singapore and didn't come back for a while. Um, traveled around the world, just going from restaurant to restaurant. That's kind of how it works overseas. You run into somebody who knows somebody in another country. You swap numbers. They never believe you're going to call because that's just not the American way. We leave and forget. But I started calling people like, hey, you told me I could come here and work for a little bit. And I was on this journey trying to study food through studying people. And I realized that the passion that I had, um, I stopped and saw my mentor in Austria, Walter Plender, who was the first chef I've ever worked for. When I started at 15, I started working in restaurants. And he said to me that um, my purpose was never food. That was just a driver. My purpose is people. And that I needed to find a way to filter that in. So I went to all these countries thinking I was studying in restaurants, but I was really living with people and absorbing their culture. And that's really what was making me a great chef. But more importantly, it was just giving me other skill sets that I could use. So when I came back to the States, you know, I interviewed a lot of the top restaurants, 
you know, I'm affiliated with another organization called CCAP, Careers for the Culinary Arts Program. It's based in New York, and basically it helps high school students get college scholarships, and they gave me a scholarship to go to college. So when I came back, I connected with them, but it was easy for me to find a job in top restaurants, you know. I applied at Per Se when they first started. Um, they very welcomed me onto the team, but then I saw the rate of pay, and I was like, I can't do this. I live in New York. I can't make this money and live in Brooklyn anymore. Like, it's expensive. And this was, I'm not going to tell you how many years, but it was over 10 years ago when this happened. So with that being said, I went into the hotels, fine dining and hotels, which at that point, for me to have an international skill set, I was very desirable. It was very easy to get a job. And I started with Marriott, went on to Ritz Carlton and luxury brands, um, went all the way up to their corporate team. First woman of color that completed the program, their management program so quickly. Um, it stated in the books. They had to rewrite it when I got done with it because they thought something was wrong because I finished it so quickly because you had to travel around to different hotels around the country, but you had to work in different departments. And I had excelled very quickly at that and um, went on to work with their opening team for many years and then started doing a lot of freelancing with restaurant groups. And that's really how I got to know everybody in fine dining. Like I've done events everywhere. I've done events at the White House. Um, I spent a lot of time just traveling around showing my international food skills. I don't really cook American food. Um, I know soul food because my mother is from the Carolinas. So it's in my blood to know a lot about that. But most of the food that I cook is very Asian centric or European driven. That is outstanding. So when you completed um, that program, was there a particular area that you enjoyed the most? I can't really say it was one particular, you know? I had met so many uh, great people. Mm -hmm. That really was the highlight for me, like staying connected with that and continuing to grow through different cultures. Like it made me yearn to want to go other places and visit and do other things. And I found that my friends that I grew up with, even going to Johnson & Wales, you know, they weren't traveled. Everyone had kind of been kind of starving for work. You know, people were like, how do you get a job at Per Se and don't go work there? You know, it's the top financial restaurant. I'm like, they don't pay. Like, I needed money. I mean, they pay now, but I mean, in that time, I had other priorities. And I think I mm -hmm. always have. I had to grow up really fast. So what the world looked like for me through my lens was completely different. So it was kind of hard to relate or even build camaraderie with folks because our lives were so distant. You know, I think that's a big part of why Carlton and I connected. You know, he's definitely my brother from another mother, for sure, because we came up through the same program in high school. We both have similar backgrounds, similar upbringings. So we connected, but we were literally every day is a fight for you to succeed in your life because you don't want to return home to where you came from. And especially you do, I'm going to disagree and agree. You do return home, but you don't want to return home. And I hate using, the, having not succeeded in what you set out to do initially. Yeah, not succeeded, but also you don't want to become a part of that pipeline in my community that I had. Like, that wasn't a desire for me. Right. I didn't want to live there all my life. I didn't want to become generationally having kids. Exactly. You know, and not saying that everybody in my community the same, was the same because a lot of people worked and just couldn't afford New York City living. So that's why they were living there. But I just had like bigger hopes and desires for myself. And there was no one in my community doing that. Right. So for me, I'm that person for many people in my community. They see that I went out and I did it and I was successful. So that's important to me. Oh, that's that that's that's very important because they finally get a role model that looks like them. Mm -hmm. And listening to you say, oh, I turned down a job at A, B, and C because it wasn't a job that could pay my bills and you didn't settle. That in itself is a testimony. It's like, hey, this is this might be good for somebody, but it's not good for me in my situation. And it's okay to say no. Yeah. It's okay not to take that first, you know, grab and because that second opportunity is could be and for you most likely was a better opportunity. And you just didn't settle and get stuck in a way. And I think this is like just outstanding. I think Your whole story. Yeah. And I and think the other thing is, oh, I'm sorry. Okay. No, you go ahead. No, I was going to say the other thing too is, you know, we often get caught up in titles and 
positions and affiliations with different organizations and the fact that you were like, yeah, this is a great restaurant and it's, you know, it has a name, but it's not meeting my needs where a lot of people would have just settled mm-hmm. to be associated with that organization. Yeah. I mean, for the culinary world, it's definitely about who you know. It's definitely, um, I came up in a time where um, it wasn't racial discrimination for me. Like a lot of black chefs and chefs of color speak about it. Um, my Spanish has always been pretty good. So I've always been able to connect connect with a kitchen crew. But um, for me, the connection was woman versus man. I struggled with that my entire career, always second guess. And for me being so young, what puts you at the advantage is that a chef that worked the way I worked in the States would have had to put in seven, eight years to get to where I was. I left the country for two and got about 10 years of work in two years from respected restaurants around the world. So when I came back, I was able to name my ticket because I had a resume that co-signed my capabilities to be able to do that. So I went into kitchens majority of the time up until about seven years ago that were all male. And I was the chef, you know, still struggling to bring in women and logicize with HR departments to tell them women are capable and they can do this because that was the mindset. You know, one of the very few women that hasn't slept my way to the top but I also know a lot of great women chefs who have been put in some serious situations where they've had to do some crazy things, but have great careers now. But this is what they had to go through to go to go to it. You know, like I see a lot of people talk about me, too. Like that's so ingrained in the kitchen. I don't even know if they can untoxify how deep it goes, you know, how high up, how. Oh, that could be a whole podcast in itself, but that. um it's a lot with that, you know, just starting to break that down. I still know a lot of women who are dealing with that and still can't come forward or say anything because it would literally demolish their career. Even if they found out that the person was guilty or did something to them, these women are still forever tarnished. And in those, and in this restaurant business, you can't come back from that. It spreads like wildfire, you know, and you are blackballed internationally. I know women chefs who have come forward and are working in foreign countries and, and worthy of Michelin stars and can't even get nominated, you know, because that's how toxic the culture is. So it's just a lot to do. I think there are a lot of men who are really paving the way now and opening those doors and a lot of women in power who are doing it, but it's still a lot of work to be done, you know. Wow. I even think to myself, I went out to the dining room when I started learning about wine. Um, I had gone through back surgery. And when I came back from back surgery, they told me that you're too pretty of a girl to be sitting at home. We're going to put you in a dress and some heels of what you work in the dining room. And for me hearing that comment now, realizing how disgusting that was, but then I just received it. It was like, great. I get to put on heels and work out front and straighten my hair. And this is the look that they're going for in the dining room. But I went out, out there and I did very well. And that's how I learned about wine. I tell people all the time, you know, um, I've never been one to need validation. I'm my worst critic. I validate myself constantly. Um, I don't need a certificate on a wall or a plaque. Even my degrees never hung them up. I think they're in a folder somewhere in the box because it's it's never been about that for me. But um, the validation is how my teams feel about me, how they feel about the reflection of my leadership. But I went out in the dining room and Ace being the beverage manager, learning about spirits, learning about sake, learning about wine, realizing restaurants thrive off liquor sales, not food. You know, and I had a lot of great psalms that I work with. And they always say, I can why won't you get certifications? I said, you need that to feel good. I don't need it. But I can also sit in a room with some of the best psalms in the world and talk them under the table about wine. So I'm very knowledgeable. I'm just, I don't have a plaque anywhere that states that. And I don't feel that I need that to be effective. Nice. I can't wait to see you on the second season. <laughs> you should be one of those chefs on that show. <laughs> the next oh, you talking about Sparklers on Psalm TV? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, that would be awesome. At what point did you realize that you wanted to create something like the Roots Fund? And like, what was the first thing you had to do? I think that um, I'll, I'll give him his credit. Carlton brought it up first and um, came to me. I've always been passionate about giving back. I think Naturally, it comes into me and Carlton's mind because without organizations and nonprofits, we wouldn't have made it out the hood. So we are super givers, actively involved. And he said, hey, all the work you're doing for the restaurant industry, you should do it in wine. 
I said, I don't know any black people. I don't know any Spanish people, Hispanic people that's serious about wine in all my years. There's very few that I've met. I don't know if this is a cause we can champion and get people behind it. You know, and at this point he had just met Tahira and he was like, look, let's get on a call. Let's talk about it. So when we started this, the intent was to start a scholarship, A as in one. We're going to reach out to some people, everybody on their socials, see if anyone needs help in the wine industry. We'll send them an email out, get people to, you know, raise a little bit of funds, but it turned into thousands of dollars over the course of like two weeks. And hundreds of people wrote in saying that they need to help people who I never knew that restaurants I've worked in and not really even noticed that these were people trying to elevate themselves and why and really didn't have access, but more importantly, didn't have any support and didn't have any funding to do this. Like they all wanted to do it. The jobs were encouraging them, but nobody was paying. So it's hard for you to really mm-hmm. elevate and move forward. And that's really how the Roots Fund started. And it started with, okay, we'll get an LLC because you get this money, you can't cash them checks, you're not a legitimate business. Then we say, okay, well, we're just going to put it as a nonprofit. And then we're going to make it a 501c3. It's like we kept doing little things. And then it was like, okay, there is an application process. We filed with the IRS. We need someone to lead this organization. And Tahira and Carlton looked at me in unison and was like, well, you're the one that's out here consulting and freelancing and doing all of this stuff. And you know a lot about the nonprofit you know, industry. And I had started going to school at Georgetown for nonprofit leadership. So um, naturally they felt that was the best choice. And for me, um, I had been pitching to a lot of nonprofits around that time to be an executive director and I kept getting turned down. And finally having this project, I knew that it was you know, the perfect time to create my own situation and do something I was really passionate about. And um, that's super important when you're leading a nonprofit to find a director that's really involved and in tune and knows the industry. So this was kind of a perfect fit. It seemed to come at like the perfect time because of all that was happening in the world. And I know um, Juliet had just created um, the Black Wine Professionals and that database came up with all of our names on it. So everybody knew that we were there and trying and trying to elevate ourselves. It it just seems like the real perfect time for the Roots Fund. Yeah, I mean, um, I think it's because we were sitting still. I think if there wasn't a pandemic, I would have never entertained it. I would have hung up the phone on Carlton so quick and went back to work and doing what I was doing. Um, but because we were slowed down, because I was consulting um, prior to this, doing very well, but a lot of my projects had come to a stall because you couldn't build restaurants. No one was going out to eat. People were calling me, asking me to help them go casual. Like those were my phone calls. Like help us buy to-go boxes. We've never done it. This is a fine dining restaurant. Like how do we package our food and make it sexy so people will buy it so we don't have to close? Like that's what the conversations turned towards for me. So ideally this was the perfect situation. Then getting into Georgetown, getting accepted into a program that I know has a wait list. Um, it kind of just all fell into pieces. And for me, I'm a big believer of recognizing my calling when it's put in front of me. So when multiple things started happening, guiding that way, I was like, okay, I can't walk away from this. I just got to embrace it and see where it goes. Are you currently doing the Georgetown program now? Have you oh, no, completed complete, it? I've completed it. Okay. Um, amazing program, nonprofit executive leadership from the McCourt School of Public Policy. Um, met some great people. Um, For me, I really wanted Georgetown for the connections and the networking. It's been a big backer to the Roots Fund. I think some people just see the wine aspect, but we are a full-service nonprofit. So there's a lot that goes into this work, grants, um, presenting to nonprofits, staying, you know, eligible for different things in different states, dealing with wine. We've got a lot of licenses and solicitations to, to file. So there's a lot of nonprofit work. So in the organization world, I think we probably struggle more to kind of fit in there because people just see the wine aspect of it and think that that's all that we are, but it's so much more to it. What was, what do you feel like was your biggest challenge so far? I want to answer this question correctly because I'm always honest. This is why I don't do interviews. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's two things. Um, I feel there's a lot of people in this industry that could be doing more. It's a lot of performative things happening and have been going on and tolerated for a long time. And um, you see our partners page on our website is very small. It's a reason. 
um, because I have to see that you are truly in, involved in inclusivity to work with us and to do work. So that's one big challenge, kind of snipping out the people who are genuine and then calling out the people who need to be involved because this old white man regime is just not cutting it for this next generation if you want your business to grow. I don't care how good your wine is. If you have no one to sell it to, then what are you gonna do? And then on the other hand, it's just getting embraced from our own community. There's a lot of organizations out there. There's a lot of black wine brands, Latin wine brands, you know, that we work with. It's getting embraced by our community. And I think that's been so long of being discouraged and not supported. Sometimes they don't even know how to receive what we're working on here. Or they think that there's some type of hidden objective behind it. When I'm just genuinely trying to grow people who look like me into this business, so it kind of can sometimes become a tough situation. Like, do we work with the Roots Fund? Do we not? Um, is this something we want to support? You know, what do we need to do? You'd be surprised. But um, like my grandmother always says, it be your own people. And um, I, I think about that. But I'm relentless and I don't give up. I also know that the same way I felt about many instances of my life of being rejected and not being supported is the same way a lot of these brands feel. And they're protected and guarded. You know, and it's about really building those relationships and breaking down those bonds to really create community, true community, where people not looking at us out on ends, you know, wondering, like you said earlier, looking at the whole Black community, we got to carry everybody, and it's, it's really not that context. So looking at it through a different lens, those are really the biggest challenges, you know, getting people who look like me to see that this is genuine, real work that's necessary, and it's going to last. But it's only going to last if we band together. I think that, um, I don't even know how to unpack that right now, but I had a, a, a heated conversation with someone about us supporting ourselves and, um, and the longevity issue. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, you can obviously tell that the Roots Fund is not a flash in the pants, what have you, um, that there is foundation there and and most importantly there's financial backing there which I think is the biggest thing that we suffer from because we don't have the financial backing so mm -hmm. all of the dreams that we want or we can't sustain them at all but those who don't participate in it do you think it's just out of fear like fear being associated being too black, too inclusive, or they just don't know? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's a lot of a lot not knowing. Like um, people talk about black wine all the time. There are a lot of black wine brands. There are not a lot of black wine vintners. And there's a difference in that. And a lot of people don't understand that. And you'll see a lot and I'm not, I'm not grouping them by any means, but you'll see quite a few black wine brands who are struggling because there may have been issues with the business plan. There may have been issues with the budget. There may have been issues with finding financing because no one's educated them. Our scholars that have their own brands, if you pick out any one of them, I, I make them write business plans. I, I coach them through it. I got mentors to support them through it. I got two or three scholars have their own wine brands struggling before they came to the Roots Fund. They got a mentor for distribution, a mentor for sales and marketing, a mentor for legal, because I want to keep them out of jail. And we support funding for them to get through these things, getting their licenses, understanding about shipping wine to different states. And all of them have told me, no one ever explained this to me. There's no class anywhere that teaches you this. That's legacy we don't have. That's, that's generational wealth, just about, forget money, about business that we don't have. And that's something that like, I'm focusing on for the latter part of this year to build a whole beginning to end program and teach them that. Because I've been doing it one off with the different scholars that are working on it. But imagine how powerful we, we could be if we know that out in Oregon, you could buy a piece of land for about 20 grand. You could cultivate that. We got a disconnect with agriculture, a bad taste in our mouth about it. I look at my Latin community that wants to be in agriculture, but they're only affiliated with being pickers. They don't even see them as business people. They're not capable. That's the mindset that they have. So I'm working on changing the mindset of people who look like me to believe in themselves and know they're capable. 
And then forget the access. I tell people that. I get access every day because I go and I tell people, this is what you're supposed to be doing. We, we shouldn't even have a conversation about access. But let's talk about support. Support is what they need. If I go and tell you, I'm going to give you this business, I'm going to give you $50,000, and you never seen money like that before, you will not be successful. If I go and I tell you, I want to invest in you, and I'm going to show you how to make this $50,000 work for you, and we're going to start with a plan and a finance person and a lawyer and understanding how you need to legally protect yourself against me, even though I'm investing in you. No one is doing that. No one has the time, the money, and they tell you they don't have the resources, which is a lot. So that's what we do. And I think that's a lot of the part with people, especially in our community, because they don't even know how to receive it when I stick my hand out and say, I can give you this. They think it's something ulterior motive behind it or that I want something. You know, I barely make a salary here at Roots Hunt. It's not, I'm not in this for the money. I got my money before I started this. The point now is for me to give all the jewels and the gems that I got to people who need it so that they can be successful in this business. You know, and I think that that's the fear. People see that and they become apprehensive. Or you get the people who, I've been doing this a long time, Kimmy, and you just got here. And look at all the success you have. And you can't even receive that compliment. Just like the beginning of this call, you told me my hair looked good. I couldn't even tell you thank you right away. Right in my mind, it clicked to me to change my mind. He said, I had told you all the reasons why I thought it looked horrible. That's, that's a trauma response from us. We got to stop doing that. You know, and I worked hard doing that. We offer mental health therapy for all my scholars. I don't let them stay in the program if they won't see a therapist. And it's for free. I don't charge. I don't care about your insurance status. All I ask you to do is get on the phone for an hour every two weeks and show up. When you get that kind of support, our, our phone calls, our events, our tutorings are so powerful because I've taken off so many layers of trauma and non-belief that you have no choice now to step into your your sunshine. You have no choice to step into your light because we try to eliminate everything that's kept you in the dark. Just, just, mm, that's marvelous. Mm. Wow. Wow, um, exactly. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so. This doesn't happen often <laughs> on this world suite where all of us are like. Everybody stops. I don't um, have anything to say. I, so I tell us, you know, like, bam, 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 nuggets. Yeah. Right. Um, so talk about the proudest moment uh, the Roots Fund provided for you. What are you most proud of? What am I most proud of? I have 115 scholars. 115 people whose lives that we've changed and that are actively involved. I've got 115 people who come from backgrounds. I've got Latin scholars who come from generational pickers and now sit in offices. And it's a power in that, you know what I'm saying? I've got high school students who didn't have any idea what they were gonna do, whose parents couldn't afford college and I'm making a way for that to happen through viticulture, through analogy, through business. I have black men and Latin men in this program and when I tell you they got something with them to come out of therapy sessions and call me and tell me that they just broke through something that they've been carrying since they was kids and it has held them back in their life. And just that therapy session that we've given them has opened it, you know, that has opened a mindset. When I hear the men in, in the program come to me and tell me, hey, I never thought I was capable. Nobody ever told me I was allowed to do this but you're constantly reinforcing and encouraging us. That, that for me, that's everything. You know, I got business people, people in legal that are all in our program. When these people succeed and they always say, oh, I can't, we gotta do something for you. You keep working and you come back into this ecosystem and feed into somebody else. That's the best thing you could do for me. It's nothing else in this world that I really want. You know, I want you to succeed. That's, that's the biggest growth opportunity for me. That's what makes me proud. Like that's the, I tell people all the time, I got 115 people. That's my biggest flex. Can't nobody say that. Not 115 wanderers, active people in our organization. And make no mistake, I kick people out all the time. I tell them they got to regroup and get their mind right and come back, circle back. I don't give up on you, but we need a break. A lot of people in our community are not used to getting direct feedback 
we have coddled, we have been coddled and that's become normal acceptance to us to just say for somebody to give us a piece of the story and tell us to go off. You know, I tell them directly and a lot of them, they struggle to receive it. But I tell them, I'm not gonna whitewash you in this world. I'm gonna tell you what nobody else has been telling you. You wonder why you can't get this business proposal through? It's because you've done the unimaginable here as a first year business plan. And I've written, rewritten business plans with people and they've gotten loans and they've been trying for eight, nine years. Nobody ever told you these three pages right here been what's taking you down at the bank. Take that out. Why are you even telling the bank that? You're telling them that you might fail in five years. They don't want to hear that. They want to hear about your success. We got to think through this plan and make something better. I think that's what makes it really go. I tell people all the time, you don't have to evaluate what we do. I'm not looking for accolades, interviews. Look at the work. That's it. It speaks for itself. I don't, if, if I never said anything again, the people who benefit from this organization are who shine the light. Oh, y'all quiet again, all three. This is a first. Um, yeah. Okay, add that to your accolades too. So when the next yes. interview you do, when you say, when they say, well, what are some of your greatest achievements? You talk about your 115 and I almost <laughs> shut down the sw- swirl suite. Almost. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, um, we appreciate you so much. Oh my god! Oh my! Oh, I mean, we're oh. honored that you're even here. Uh, how about say I that appreciate again. y'all. I For appreciate. Really. I had no idea from listening to a podcast and we see people. Uh, Lori does our PR, and I get a lot of crap because Lori is a a, a white woman, but Lori is knows a her good stuff, friend. right? Mm-hmm. She knows her stuff and she wants to push on. I think she's the queen of melanation because she's trying to get it out there. She ain't afraid to shame nobody. Um, But she said, you need to do this podcast. I think you would love it. She said, I've been listening to all the episodes. I love the energy. You know, so Lori came out and was like doing it. She done called me like 10 times today. (laughs) (laughs) We got to send Lori. Thank you, Lori. Lori, Thank you, Lori. Thank you. I, I didn't wash my hair. Lori said, oh, you're not on video. Don't worry. You just need to bring your voice. So I, I, I appreciate I appreciate the allies that stand beside us and really push things forward and like see the vision and believe in it. I never have to question what she puts in front of me and she pushes it forward, you know? Hmm. Wow. Well, that is a proud moment for us. I yes, know. indeed. Go yes, ahead. indeed. <laughs> So I found this quote um, in one of the few articles that you have out there, but I, this quote really, <laughs> this quote really touched me. You said, find what you love and let it kill you. What is that for you? Um, I'll probably die in a room of strangers. My family will be upset because I'll be in a room of people who really, my family will feel like not my family, but that means that I've done my life's work. So my name, Aikimi, is a Japanese water proverb. And what that means is to take of something big to make something small. So literally, it's a picture of a small lake with a very skinny inlet. But the inlet leads out to this big, roaring ocean. You know, my grandma, um, super spiritual growing up. My father's mother never went to church, but was very spiritual. Always reading, reading about, first person I ever heard tell me about Buddhism and meditation and being on a higher level within yourself. She told me all the time that I was a giving spirit and I would die giving. And I didn't really understand that. And I used to tell her, oh, grandma, I can't wait to get married, like all my friends. She said, that may never happen for you because you are so purpose-driven. You may just have a partner all of your life. And that's gonna give you fulfillment beyond belief. Don't get caught up in titles and doing all these other things. Focus in on your purpose. And that's really what's gonna drive your heart. That's what's going to make you complete. And I didn't really understand it until I got older. And then when she passed, I really like got into it, like understanding what that was. But finding what I love, you know, like my love is helping people. I'm great at being a chef. I'm great at business things. I'm great at a lot of things, but my passion is helping people. And I think I'm just living in it. So it's definitely going to be what drives me down. It's going to be what stresses me out. Um, it's also what makes me happy. It's going to be the reason I have high blood pressure, but also the reason why I'm active. It's it's a double-edged sword, but I accept it. And I feel like when you wake up purpose-driven and you're going out every day to work, you are you living the dream. That's it right there. That's what we all aim to be. For a long time now, I stopped going to work feeling miserable. Like, oh, 
I hate going in. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't feel like I'm doing anything wise. You know, I wake up every day and do something that I love, but it's definitely going to kill me because it's hard work. It's long work. And even when everybody else thinks it's over, like everybody thought the Roots Fund was going to disappear after the social justice movement. I had to remind people, people Black been getting killed for years. They still dying. There's still work to be done. It doesn't go away. It hasn't gone away. You just was home and you saw it on TV. So that's why you see it now and you react to it now. But we've been dealing with this forever. So therefore, I must continue the work that I'm doing and not be deterred by anything else. Preach. <laughs> wow. Let's get an amen from the choir. Amen. You know. Amen. amen. <laughs> It didn't just start. With, um, oh. You guys have any other questions for Akimi before we move into the closeout fun questions? She answered the questions I'm going to ask her what her name means, and she answered mm-hmm. that. Oh, there is some, see, because I'm always the one that acks like stuff. See, they see they put their heads down <laughs> smirking already. They don't never know what I'm going to say. <laughs> so you said, Akimi Du Bois. And then you said, oh, yeah, Woodson, you added. So did you get married? What's the story? You mean you added that? Oh, no. Um, Woodson is my father's name. Oh, you added it. Okay. Um, my mother was petty. Um, yeah, she was. Uh, my mother is Petty LaBelle, uh, Pettyana. Uh, my father and me. Um, so when you change your name in the state of New York, you got to appear in court, right? So me and my father went to court. That judge looked up over her glasses and slammed her gavel and started signing stuff. So I'm asking the lawyer, like, what do we need to do? She said, if that ain't your child, you done spit that baby out and she a grown woman and you still look like you spit her out. Sir, do you want to contest this? Is this why you're waving your arm? He was like, oh no, I thought we had to, my lawyer had prepped us. Like, this is what you got to say. She said, why ain't you on this birth ticket? And my father said, well, you know, her mother is a petty woman from back then. I was at the hospital. I was there. I was present. She was like, have you been present in her life? And I told her, my father ain't missed a day or nothing. Every basketball game, football game, debate team, he has been present. Even when he was incarcerated, my father wrote me a letter every day. And I tell people I got a letter every single day. That's why I tell people who are incarcerated with their kids. It's still a way to stay connected. He would discipline me via letter. And I have to wait to the next letter to know when I was off punishment. Okay, but I appreciated those years because I just needed my father. And if we spend more time thinking about relationships, that's what will keep it growing. You know, I, ra- I helped raise my niece. I lost my brother like six years ago. And um, she's a big part of my life. I've been keeping a journal for her since she was about three years old. And I just recently am packing up to move. And I found this whole box. I've been writing to her since she was three about her father, about life, about things she's going to encounter, about things that just came up on my mind. By the time she's 16 years old, I've given her a roadmap that's applicable whether we flying in cars or we still on the street driving cars. She will be so ready for this world and have these journals to read. I think we need to, to focus on raising our children again and remembering that impact and stop getting lost in everything else and raise these kids because they're out here running wild. And you all preach, say it again. Mm. But mine won't be. I know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you. That's a beautiful um, testimony to dads. Don't give up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And stay present. Uh, Stay present. Stay present. Stay present. Stay present is is what I want to say. So we got some fun questions. Uh, um, There we go. Let's do it. Okay. And on a lighter note. All right. Here we go. First one. What would you eat from a grill right now? This is for everybody. Any type of pork. Any type Anything. of pork. Give me a rib. Give me a, <laughs> a, a loin, a chop. Um, give me a chicharron. Give me anything. Okay. Uh, if it's swine, I want to die. <laughs> okay. Chicharrones and Chablis. That's the new menu pairing I just gave y'all. Get you some chicharron, get you some Chablis and honey. Okay. Your life will be forever changed. Wow. Well, well, That's well, a food pairing right there. Get that. It sure is. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. 
<laughs> Leslie wow. Glenn, Tanisha, how about y'all? A hot dog. There is nothing like a grilled hot dog all day right. long. Mm-hmm. And you got to burn it. I love yes. it. Don't yes. give me no bologna that's shaped like a, a stick because that's what it is if you don't cook it enough. I want my yes. hot dog burnt. Oh, yeah. Did you just say it was bologna shaped like a stick? <laughs> yes. Is that what you said out of your mouth? I sure did because it makes thing. sense. I never thought about it like that. It's but it makes complete sense. Yeah. I don't want I don't want to think about it like that. I reject I, that. I could have said right. something else, but I'm trying to be nice because yeah, but there we yeah. go. I reject it. We got an honorable like, guest today. I would like a rack of ribs, please. <laughs> like full brontosaurus flintstone ribs off the grill. There That's we go. Right. I like that too. Yeah. Okay. I'm Mine would go. really been shrimp and lobster too. Oh, that's a good one. Ooh, ooh. Yeah. Shrimp and lobster on the grill. You knew Glenn's going to stop at just a hot dog. Not yeah. Exactly. That, that was Leslie. <laughs> Kanisha, that was Leslie. She already said it, so I had to right. say it. Right. I knew that wasn't true. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm going to Glennis want her caviar grill. Uh, oh. you, know, you know I like all my meat cooked. Glennis on her. Okay. Sarita, oh you were saying, <laughs> what were you saying, Sarita? So I'm going to go with a whole fish. Give me a big old oh, stripper. Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. And like, I want you to grill it until the tail is crispy so I can eat that too. So a yeah. whole fish. Okay. Yeah. There we go. You're going mm-hmm. to take the head off? Oh, I like the head. That's the best part. You want to look at it. You want to look at it. You got to eat the cheese. not going to do it. I'm not eating nothing looking at me. Oh, not child. I'm not Girl, eat the eyes too. Girl, Those good the, too. The eyes no, out, I'm not the eyes eating out. nothing. Look, poke the eyes out. It's no. delicious. No. <laughs> you know what, Glennis? The next time we go out, I'm going to order a big old fish and just eat it in front of you. You can't. I, I, I can't eat nothing. Well, you, you going to watch me eat it. I used to clean fish my I owned a fish market they used to sell fish in the back of Woolworth in Southern Virginia and you ain't worked through this yet and you ain't worked through I'm this? not eating this and they, <laughs> what I'm it's, telling you, you can it's, do it's it's traumatic next to me clearly it's traumatic for her. That's what it is. It's, it's a trauma bond. I get it. You don't want to deal with the fish. That's fine. I'm not. What if we I, we can I we like can grill it and then create a Woolworth front so you can just hate face it head on. You know, I like it's not that I don't like it. It's take the damn head off of me to eat it. Wait, can you just eat shrimp with, with the head on? No, absolutely not. I take the damn I head off. That's bomb. She can't do it. Mm-mm. That's that's she great. Yeah. Not okay. Well, we were right. in France. She couldn't do it. Ooh, oh God. I said, nope. <laughs> okay. All right. Next question. Margarita or martini? Margarita. Okay. I'm a tequila Margarita. Oh, yeah. Margarita. Margarita for me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, martini. that's my test drink. Say if I go to a suck. if I go to a new bar or there's a new bartender, I ask them to make me a margarita. If that ain't right, then then it. They can't do it. They can't do they can't serve. Yep. They can't do nothing else. Because that's easy to do. Well, and I'm the opposite. I asked for a martini. And if they can't make a martini right, then I'm like, no, your bar is dumb. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. That is fair. What about you, Aki? Margarita. I'm a Margarita. tequila woman all the way. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yep. I, I, I got mm-hmm. more tequila than a little bit. I just got a gift from Maverick at Lobos. And they sent me mm-hmm. a kit. Oh, wow. So I got a bunch of their tequila. This right here, Bazal. I visited them in Mexico. Oh my God. Let me tell Bizarre. you, honey. Mezcal. I'm writing it down. Mezcal, tequila, all of that. It's, it's meant to be drank. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. Um, this is just a random question. Maxwell or Eric Benet? Oh, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> go ahead. Go I'm ahead. Gonna say, I'm gonna say neither, and say Kenyon Dixon, and say I'm over Eric Benet for okay. for reasons of Halle Berry. But sure. um, um, I do like Maxwell, but I need something like I need you to make me laugh, make me cry at the same time, make me emotional. And Maxwell sometimes just make me sad. <laughs> 
So um, I can't do it all the time. His new music is okay, you know, but you know, I love me some Kenyon Dixon. I mean, y'all got to look him up. He's also going to be at our auction in April, but uh-huh. honey, that, that, that R&B soul, like I grew up listening to Sam Cooke, Coltrane, my grandfather played jazz. So that's what resonates with me. I need soul music. Like I need something that's, you know, I done caught a tear. I done had a testimony. And I'm trying to get naked at the same time. Got you. I need all three. (laughs) Say it again. All right, tell me, Maxwell, Eric Benet for you ladies. Let's see. (laughs) Leslie, you look like you had something to say. Hey, well, first of all, I'm playing Maxwell this weekend. (gasps) Oh, nice. I'll let you know how it goes. Yes. Okay. Um, But Eric Benet is sex personified like if you have ever seen him in concert <laughs> only person who has he stopped is. me in my tracks I could not get it together until after the first couple songs yes okay. I can see that for you quiet storm I can see that for you <laughs> I definitely see that for you Glennis Tanisha Maxwell for me just cause just that's I mean when your name is one word, yeah. like what else do I need to say? Glennis <laughs> <laughs> is thinking on it. No, I'm laughing because damn, Serena does this all the time. She give you these two choices. She'd be like, hmm, okay, I like both of them, but I'm kind of like you. I would do Gregory Porter and Kim. Ooh, okay. Mm. Those I are, love me some Kim now. Yeah. We're Those, just happy you knew who these people mm-hmm. were, Glennis. <laughs> thank you. Because y'all is so shady. new kids on the block. <laughs> That's so like, shady. I need that old school. Now, if we really want to talk about it, the only one that really does it for me is, is Marvin Gaye. Oh, I just well, said that a million well, times on the yeah. podcast. So yeah. you gave us that choice. And if I was going <laughs> to do new, uh, not new school, but you know, in that genre, my like, I can listen to Kim all day, every day, mm. and Greg reported Greg too. I mean, that's yeah. so, okay. his his voice, and that's so, because that whole Dawn song, I was like, who? Yeah. <laughs> you know, anyway, so. There you go. <laughs> I love that Marvin Gaye, too. I love Teddy Pendergrass. I love oh, that. well. Oh, yeah. 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 That, yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> I listen. I ain't, never had, I ain't never had no man yell at me and tell me to turn off the lights like that. So. <laughs> I'm a good listener. I'm a good listener. That's all I'm saying. I'm a good listener. Um, It's Maxwell for me. And it's honestly, it's it's his album that everybody ignores. It's Embrya. Everybody ignores that album. But to me, that is like bedroom music, like all day, every day. Mm -hmm. So Maxwell for me. I've seen him in concert. He's actually really good. Is he good? Okay. He's very good in concert. Yeah. Oh yeah, that he put in- on a good show now. You're gonna be treated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. He probably will be singing to me. So don't <laughs> <laughs> oh. be throwing no panties up on the stage. <laughs> Wait, who you go with? <laughs> can you say on here? <laughs> yes, I can. Yes, I can. It's a it's a it's a gaggle girlfriends. Oh, nice. Oh, okay. Y'all gonna have a okay. good time. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're gonna be yeah. if it's the girlfriends I know, it's gonna be yeah. I got my bail money. Y- y'all don't go. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> Let me kid it together. Maxwell has been kidnapped. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know what happened to him. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. Um, next question. What do you like cooking the most? Akimi, I want you to go first. Oh, I love Indian food. Mm. Really like having a whole nother appreciation for what real curry is. Grilling outside, fresh bread. Oh. Mm-hmm. They got it hands down. You do make a bathroom trip, around, uh, you know, eventually because the spices, but it's worth it. I tell you, I absolutely love Indian food. If I could eat it every day, I would. Got you. The, uh, Tanisha, Leslie, Glitz, y'all, y'all have an it's answer. Not mo- it's like? not multiple choice. No. <laughs> it's not A, B, or C. I pick C. You don't have like a go-to in Paris? Like you just like sizzle it up and you're happy. Yeah, I'm gonna go buy it, but no, what really? What is a go to? You cook though, yeah. I do. It's gotta be something you make that, like, man, when you make it, people count on it. Mm. 
I got a cousin that only make lasagna. I feel real bad for her kids, but when she make that lasagna, boy. <laughs> but that, that's the only dish. That's all she could do. Hmm. So now when well, we I say make, make. <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> Lord. Let's change. Like, let's so change the Lord. question to your best takeout. What's your best takeout? <laughs> there you go. Like, okay. so, what do words mean? <laughs> <laughs> when you say make, you ain't talking about taking out the box and putting it in the oven. So you just talking about making what I make. Okay. I so mean, you could have faked it and act like you made that. Like, what? You, you have to fake it or not? No, I'm not. I don't lie like, like that. Nope. Nope. So, <laughs> since I'm talking now, because I ain't gonna tell a lot, but I make very good spaghetti um turkey spaghetti sauce and i use um quinoa brown rice blend um noodles so Mm -hmm. because i try to pull away Mm -hmm. from the wheat so it's quinoa and brown rice noodles that treated so i treated joe's spot delicious but i i make a turkey um spaghetti sauce that sounds awesome i like that yeah mushrooms and green peppers but Leslie, are you going? Are you going to say gumbo? Because I your gumbo was really good. I, I do make it. I do make that's like my comfort dish. But I often, believe it or not, forget to eat. So I'm working and I'm like, I should have eaten. And so then when you get that hungry, you just want to eat everything. So my go-to dish is to like, um saute spinach mushrooms and onions and then throw protein in there mm. yeah and i'm good because it's quick and yeah. it's satisfying yeah that sounds really yeah. good yeah so did you have this yeah. gumbo at your paint party that i wasn't uh-huh. you had our gumbo Ooh, that, that none of us was invited to yeah. i have and, not no actually all of us went to my house See, okay, okay so I'm, y'all I'm just picking i'm just y'all picking. acting <laughs> up in front of company <laughs> We that was five years ago almost. Good grief. That was, yeah, that was a long to, time ago. We'll have to, when, when Tanisha comes back in town, I'll make yeah. it Well, see, I remember oh. food. That's what oh, I Oh, y'all gotta wait for that? I'm sorry, go ahead, Yeah, I ain't gonna be eating no time soon. I don't think she's oh. coming back no time soon. <laughs> um, so let's see, what's mine? Uh, mine is like, gosh, Yours it's everything. I, Everything. It's, I was saying not. the same thing. I hope it's not with no. me though, because them little fake meat products you be using be sending me. I try. Listen, I try fake meat products every Monday. It's a meatless Monday, so I try something different. Um, a lot yes, of them are gross. Swordfish look good. That's swordfish. Oh, swordfish. Oh, swordfish. Um, yeah. 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 That big tongue didn't though. You did a bean something, and I was like, "This is not it." And I what? love everything mm-hmm. through the dust. What did I make with beans? You did something you did like a white bean. Yeah, that white bean thing. I was like, Oh, that yeah, that was good. That was like a stew. Girl, please. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that's it. No, it was just something you opened up the package and were like, this is what it looked like. I was like, mm, that don't look right. Oh, oh, she's talking about tempeh, y'all. Yeah, that. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Tempeh's kind of yeah. gross. It's what is tempeh? Um, it's fermented soybeans. It's <laughs> yeah, fermented, fermented soybeans in a in a yep. patty kind of thing and oh. pe- they they cure it and they cut it up and try to treat it like bacon so it's oh. yeah i don't like the texture so i let that, that one go only bacon is like bacon true i i know i know um well what am, what is my answer okay my answer is a roasted chicken with crispy skin um it's it, it can be time consuming because i cook it low but um yeah that's pro- probably my favorite thing to make Okay. There we go. I see you got yeah. texture things going on. I, I like do. It. Yeah, I do. I do. Oh, she she's a little happy homemaker. She's <laughs> cooking all that stuff and don't invite nobody over. Because that's scampi. I uh, still want because that's that's another one of my favorite. Oh, with before. the with, with the bucatini? No, that turned out bad. Oh. I can't even lie. That shit was mm. Yeah. Oh. All right. <laughs> all right. The last question. <laughs> last question is for Akimi. What do you like to drink? after a long day of cooking? Um, wow, it's, it's many things. Um, I drink beer when I shower and I drink Pinot just probably three, four days a week. I love Pinot, especially from Burgundy. It's my favorite. Um, I love a, a light red that kind of pack a punch, but I'm definitely a beer kind of sore when I'm in the shower. There are beer bottles in my shower from time to time. Don't judge me. Um, and when I'm out, I drink a lot of 
I drink a lot of tequila. People get surprised. They see I'm in wine and that's the first thing they want. But a lot of times when I'm out, I just want to drink margaritas or mezcal. Mm. You know, I, I don't know how wine tasters drink 20, 30 wines a day because I would die. <laughs> it's a hard job, girl, but somebody got to Somebody do it. got to do it. I know. <laughs> somebody that somebody is not me. Right. And if somebody is me, <laughs> I think I'm okay as long as I can end with bubbles and drink bubbles for the rest of the night, then I'm good. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I like bubbles. You're expensive. <laughs> Sarita, expensive. Don't invite her to my house. I ain't got no champagne left. She'll drink a cava. It's okay. Cava's fine. There we go. I'm fine. I like tequila though, too. Margaritas. Mini day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You have to if you ever come to DC. We, yeah, we all have to hang and drink. Oh yeah, together. I'm always in DC yeah. all the what? time. All the time. All right. DC is my second home. I'm always in DC. Yeah. Yo, this was amazing. This this was yes, an amazing. Thank you, ladies. Thank, Thank you so much for joining me. us. Absolutely. If no one's told you. I'm so proud of you. I, I love this space. I've definitely been trying to prep for it, listening to your episodes oh, in no. advance. And, um, I'm sorry. I, I, I knew we would crack up a little bit, so I'm excited <laughs> about that. But so proud of the work that you're doing, too. We're all contributing to something really great for people to see us and hear us. It's so important. So I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank before you. you go, before you go, you. tell everybody um, how they can get involved with the Roots Fund or just follow. Awesome. Um, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, the Roots Fund. Um, we love donations. Uh, everything helps, helps drive the mission. We've got an auction April 27th in partnership with Zachy's and Wine Spectator. So if you know any great wine collectors or you know anyone who wants to contribute some lots or experiences, reach out to us or also buy our wine. It's on our website. It's on our Instagram. I think the light is kind of making it crazy, but we have a red wine blend um, made by our scholars, not by someone else, not custom crushed. Our scholars made this wine. It's a Spanish blend. It is phenomenal. It's about 30 bucks. So think of what you spent on two coffees yesterday. If you live in a major city then you can buy this wine, it's ready for sale right now. And I think we're down to 15 cases. So you better get it while it's hot. Because I sent out some celebrity packs yesterday and I made them pay for it too. They didn't get it for free, but they're going to start so, promoting it. So y'all better get okay. some before it's too late. So And it's on your okay. website, rootsfund.com. Yep. The, the rootsfund.org. Org. .org. Okay. .org. Yep. O-R-G. Gotcha. Um, and it's in partnership with Bokish. You'll see it on our Instagram link. Um, so definitely support us. That's the best way to do it, you know. Um, do something. Right every now. little, mm-hmm. every little bit helps. Pour it. I will tell you definitely. Let the temp come down. Drop it in the decanter for about twenty minutes, and it is ready to drink right now. I love me a Spanish red blend, honey. Let me tell you, <laughs> this is so good, so good. Uh, we made it in Lodi. Our scholars made it. One of our scholars designed the label which is often rarely unheard of. So we did this whole thing through and through. Wow. Um, so super excited about it and super grateful for the support. Awesome. That is great. I Kimmy, before you leave, the wine bottle mm-hmm. over your left shoulder, the white one, is that, yeah, yeah you this just one? pointed to it. Yes, is that Lisa Lise? Say so, Lise? Yes. yes. Chris? Nice. There we go. You do. I hope you do know that um, this was the last of it. He changed it for the new year. Did he? Really? really? I did taste it. It is good, but this, I'm not going to open this for a while. This is the last one. I literally, this is the physical last one. I went to Chris's house to get this. Are you serious? Yep. So Leslie, the new vintage is coming out. So hold on to that, Leslie. Don't drink that right away. Oh, well, Leslie, is that part of your Are you drinking that now, Leslie? I'm drinking it now. I, we're going to bring oh. him on um, during the summer. Oh, I okay. love Chris. We're going to support him. His wines on. Mm-hmm. Yep. His rose, his, that's his reserve blend. I love the reserve blend. I love the rose. I love the white. Um, he's got just a, a red blend that's not a lower tier, but not as expensive yeah. as the reserve. It's you good too, but the reserve is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He got some good yeah. wines, big lover of the community, super supporter. Chris is helping us build our 
build your own wine brand, he's a part of that because he has Is his he? own brand. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. um, Chris, Chris does that work. He's not a speaker. Um, he don't do airtime. So I love that about him. <clears throat> it's so hospitable. Every time I go to Lodi, he takes me on dinner dates and I just love it. And he don't even love me like that, but I just love to get my door open. You know, he stand up at the table when you go to the restroom. Hey, Chris, I love you, boo. <laughs> no, he's just super, super, super sweet. You know, real respectable. I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. good. Oh, wait, let me give y'all one more. My favorites. Okay, so look at these two. Same winemaker. Ooh, oh I wow so kayla and this one don't have a name they don't but they're from matt taylor he just started a new wine brand called Inkgrade. um his wines are from sonoma coast so if you like pinot um he definitely gives you a whole new energy so matt taylor wines and Inkgrade estates are his two brands and phenomenal I love him to death. I love his wife to death. I think I got a crush on both of them at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how it's possible, but I love them both. I just want to see them all the time. Oh, That's wow. it, but thank you, I ladies. I appreciate you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Oh, this was phenomenal. Thank oh, you. This was great. Did I not tell you that this was going to be a great episode? So... Be sure to follow Akimi on social media, follow the Roots Fund, get involved, make donations, spread the word, do all the things. And most importantly, leave us five stars wherever you're listening to this podcast. Have a great week. Cheers.